Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Reform. Today, we're talking with Lisa Broderick, who is the founder of Police to Peace, an organization dedicated to shifting the conversation away from police violence and brutality and towards peacekeeping and community-oriented efforts. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. Thank you, Ria. Thanks, Antoinette. Thanks for having me. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and what got you interested in this type of work? I get asked that a lot because I'm not from the policing world and to focus on this as something seems a little unusual. I work in business and in my prior career, I was a high technology CEO from Silicon Valley and later on the East Coast where I helped small companies reinvent themselves. I was doing that type of work for many years, about 30 years. And then some years ago, I began to feel differently about my work. I began to feel as though work that I needed to do in the world needed to be creative. It needed to address the many, many uh, challenges that society faced. And one day I was working in, I was working with a company in Jacksonville Beach, Florida, and I had sort of a moment. I had a vision. I was on a beach. It was 2016. It was a very difficult year for police shootings. There were many high profile incidents and killings and citizens, uh, interactions with police. And a police vehicle came on the beach and I saw in a way that was an inspiration and an aspiration, peace officer on the police vehicle as though it were the name. And I thought to myself, wow, that is really unusual that I would see that, it was sort of a vision. And then I called a friend of mine who, who is uh, on the board of social justice organizations, a friend of these words, I don't know why they all don't do it. I don't, they're all peace officers anyway. And with that moment, I felt like I had an opportunity to be part of something bigger than myself, to, to use my background in high technology and what I know about movements and changing society through a technology to apply it to something that was a, an issue in society, but certainly not the issue that we are experiencing today. It was a growing issue. It had been around for a long time. And to see whether I could help bridge the divide between communities and the police who serve them using the technology of language, reframing, uh, working with the communities to help them understand the police and working with the police who serve them to help understand the communities in a way that would uplift and heal them both. And so four years later, that's exactly the work that Police to Peace does. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that part of your story. I think a lot of us can relate to that feeling. And there are a lot of other people out there who hopefully might be listening to this podcast who may also be looking to join something bigger and really make a difference in society. So speaking of that, can you tell us more about some of the specific initiatives that Police to Peace champions? After that, after that ability, that opportunity that I felt like I was given in 2016, it took about a year to put things together. But by the end of 2017, we had begun to work with our first police department, which was a Los Angeles area police department, where we put the words peace officer on every police vehicle. And in relation to study with our research partner, which is New York University BetaGov initiative, a public policy institute, to determine the public sentiment, the feelings about the police uh, of the community before the initiative happened, and then the feelings afterwards. We surveyed volunteers, police officers, police leaders, everyone involved. And then the peace officer vehicles drove around the community for many months, and then we surveyed them again. What we learned was that community sentiment changed. 
people felt as though the police could change. People felt safer, which we thought was quite interesting. And although it's very difficult in science to determine causality, when you have a, a pre-survey, a sentiment survey, and then a single intervention in a post, and you get a materially representable population responding, then you might be able to say that there's certainly correlation and even causality. Interestingly as well, the officers' views of themselves changed. And so with that, we thought we were onto something. And in our being onto something, we moved on and began working with the Sheriff's Department in South Carolina, the Richland County Sheriff's Department, to do decals on vehicles, a much larger study, almost 800 vehicles, and also uh, uniforms, where we changed the uniforms of, an of the entire Sheriff's Department, the deputies, 800 to 1,000 uniforms. And then we surveyed that as well. And we began to learn something. And that is people wanted hope for change. People wanted to bridge divides. And while many, many have been harmed and feel harm, people also feel hope and they want to build something together. And we realized that this could be a way that communities could use to build together with the officers who serve them in so many capacities so that we could bridge divides and really heal fractured relationships. And to this day, we do the Peace Officer Initiative along with eight or 10 other programs for communities that help them, help them relate to their police, help them heal concerns and issues. And if they've had an, an incident in their community, help the police themselves in, with wellness using, for instance, meditation and other programs which really bring the two communities together. Wow. It is truly amazing to see how your organization is taking a evidence-based approach in terms of working to develop small scale studies and then elevating it to a larger scale study to see what actually works and, you know, allowing people to be able to get the input of the community, which matters most because a lot of the time when we're developing laws and just watching that process happen, the people and the voice of the community hardly has that opportunity to speak out. So I really love that aspect. How are ways that you were able to choose the communities that you wanted to start these initiatives with and to pioneer this movement? Well, initially it came out of the police departments and in many of the police departments and sheriff's departments around the country, there are leaders who have a heart for social justice. They have a heart for their community. I've been on calls where police leaders have cried because they are so saddened by the state of the country. And it may not be happening in their communities, but it's happening so much around the country that it's emotionally felt by many. Many of those leaders reached out and we began to work with them. And then after June of 2020, communities started to reach out and we shifted our, uh, our programs and our offerings. And what we learned was community members were very proactively thinking about healing their community. They wanted to do something, but they didn't know what. And we became a source of resources and programs for people who wanted to proactively uh, work with, their, with what they had in their communities to heal divides, to educate, to bring together faith leaders and community leaders and themselves as, uh, as interested community members into a discussion where every voice could be heard. 
And from that, we began working with some of the more fractured communities around the country, and there are many. That sounds like really amazing work. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. What kinds of behaviors did officers start to exhibit when they started seeing themselves as peacekeepers instead of as policemen? Well, one startling quote which came up early on was an officer in Oregon. It was a female officer. She said these words, when I first heard about the program, you know, I didn't really think that it would have much of an impact, but in leaving my vehicle and returning to my vehicle on every call, and seeing the words peace officer, I was reminded of who I really am. Policing is what we do, but peace officer is who we are. And I changed my approach from tamping down problems to working with the community to solve them, to being a peacekeeper, to keeping the peace. And that is the sentiment that we're finding more and more in the, in the country. Individuals, officers with a heart for social justice, with a heart for their communities, able to express it now in a way with a framework with peace officer that really helps them embody how they may have felt anyway for some officers and for some officers a reminder of the oath they took. What's interesting about peace officer is it's not a radical change for policing. You may know this, but in many states, often most states, peace officer is the legal term in the penal code for police officers. We've gotten away from that. And so this is a way to return to that framework, to that ethos, to that way of being. Okay. And I definitely do appreciate that phase peace officer, because there's just a certain connotation that is now being shifted with the police, especially being a person of color. Like if I see a police car behind me, like automatically my body tenses up and it just becomes a visceral response. When I think about the concept of a peace officer, it shifts the whole narrative of feeling like, okay, like, is there something wrong that I did to get someone like a police officer to come behind me? Like, are they going to stop me versus like, okay, like if there's a problem, how can the police help address it? Like, for example, it could be my taillight or something like that. So I definitely do appreciate the, the term peace officer. And with that being said, how were you able to get together the funding to be able to lead these huge initiatives and in getting the 800 to 1,000 officers outfits changed and then or their attire changed and then also getting the decals on their cars? Well, I think it started with a, a background. And so I heard a wonderful word from a man named John Meacham. He is at Vanderbilt. He's a presidential historian. And he said it recently, called it citizen entrepreneurship. And so we see something as citizens and we think to ourselves, well, I could do something about that. And that was my initial thought with Police to Peace. I also had the background in business. I knew the steps that it would take to go from an idea to uh, a pilot, to putting together funding for more than that and how we might appeal to small individual donors and then eventually grant makers. And as we grow and be able to gain more and more funding, of course, in some sense, it's luck, and in some sense, it's timing. And then, you know, behind all of that, there was a plan, the plan that we would put together the funding and have and know the type of funding that we might need and be able to approach grant makers who shared our vision. That's happened. Of course, we could always use more. There is a donate button on our website. We see hope for change for communities who want to embrace that now. And so this movement for positive policing, we're hoping 
as it gains more and more momentum, can help communities create a space which are fractured by police violence and bringing community members and police members together peacefully to express what everyone needs for policing, that we can begin to heal some of the harm that people feel. That's really amazing. I know we've heard a lot about of police brutality and violence and its impact on communities, especially vulnerable communities of color in the past year at the very least. And we've also been hearing these stories for years and years and years prior to that. So my question is, if we move a little bit away from the ideological and look more toward the practical, how can we incorporate this kind of peacekeeping ideology into police training and into the infrastructure that helps hold police or peacekeepers, shall we say, accountable and making sure that they're actually benefiting the communities they're there to help? Well, that is a great question. And that's what we're working to do right now. And so initially, when we started out, we realized that putting peace officer was a name change, but what needs to follow was a change of culture. And so then we began putting in place programs and tools for police departments and communities to use to make this resilient within their community, to build that bond, to build the approaches toward public safety and policing for the police officers and the departments, which were rooted in peace officer. And then we came up with what would be a framework. So the framework for a police officer so what is a police officer or a peace officer in our mind? A peace officer is one who is mediative in their approach. They're in, they are inherently a mediator. They mediate disputes. When there is a dispute that they, they can, uh, they can uh, step in, they aid the defenseless, right? And they, they work out situations. So that was one thing. A second thing would be transparency, as you mentioned, and that is nothing builds trust like transparency. So to make sure that transparency was part of the framework of a peace officer. A third one was uh, 21st century policing precepts. These policies that, pro that uh, the police departments can ascribe to having to do with use of force so that there is a set of policies and practices which also represent peace officer. And now taking that framework to, uh, to police departments around the country and also into training environments where it can be part of who becomes a peace officer. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for that beautiful response. I feel like that was one of the questions that we've really been trying to figure out over the past couple months. And as things do continue to grow intensely, I just wanted to know what is the systematic approaches that you're taking to addressing the issues regarding the statements and the policies that you're enacting? What are the type of key players that you have involved in helping to push forward the things that you would want to establish, not just on a community level, but then in a political framework as well? That is a very good question. What we see when we, look, when we began to work with policing is that because of the nature of the United States and its, uh, its federalist system, that the individual states and then the individual counties and the individual cities governed policing. This results in a situation where there are 18,000 separate police and sheriff's departments around the country. Uh, a figure you may hear in the media because it's now known. There is no national approach to policing. What happens in North Carolina is different from what happens in Oregon, is different from what happens in Arizona, down to the county level and even down to the city level. 
What we want to see is national coherence for policing, national coherence around peace officer, what it means to be a peace officer. We feel by introducing that into legislation, into, uh, into the framework of policing, introducing that into a consciousness. Some of the evidence that we're, we're collecting about this is growing. Recently, the National Sheriff's Association selected a sheriff in South Carolina, the Richland County Sheriff's Department, Sheriff Leon Lott, who pioneered the peace officer program for his sheriff's department. Those were the hundreds of police vehicles and the hundreds of uniforms to, to be named Sheriff of the Year. So that this individual, by the way, with a decades long history of community policing added to his community policing peace officer. And now as a symbol for the country, the department, which has become Sheriff of the Year and the Sheriff who is Sheriff of the Year. That's a quite hopeful sign that policing is increasingly seeing itself as a return to peace officer, as the community led policing the framework for community policing. Okay, so we were just talking right. about the need for national coherence in policing and some right. of the hopeful signs that we've seen recently. And it's really interesting that you bring those up because I actually hadn't heard of a lot of that until you told us about it. A lot of the national dialogue recently, as I'm sure you're aware, has centered around police brutality and abolishing the police, especially with regard to the Chauvin verdict that was recently rendered. Could you tell us a little bit about your thoughts on that and how your work at Police to Peace fits into dynamics like that, where you have a police officer who essentially abused their power and someone paid with their life for that. And then this became basically the spark that ignited nationwide and later later global protests about racism and police brutality. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on all of that. Yes. And so we, with that, and it was, was actually said during the trial and after the trial, uh, bringing someone who is broken to justice so that there are consequences for actions is good for the country and it's good for policing. The fact that they were an officer no police department wants an officer who's broken in that way, who lacks compassion, who seems to lack humanity even, to be part of their police department. And so what we have with so many police departments, 18,000 police departments and 800,000 officers, is we have, it's, we have everyone. You know, when you think about the bell-shaped curve of humanity in any population, there are people who are like that. The real question is, how do we attract and how do we retain and how do we have as police officers, as peace officers, those who want to serve? And, and how do we have a system where justice and equity and equality are real for everyone and someone who is broken and who has committed a crime pays the price and there are consequences? Those are the questions we're facing now as the country. All of this we see as good for policing, good for communities and good for the country to finally have this conversation. What's not known is it seems like there's a lot of attention paid to police killings. Honestly, the number of people killed by the police each year is pretty stable at about a thousand a year going back a, a long time. And so we're seeing these, these often horrific episodes because there are cameras 
and bringing to light issues which have been in communities and in cities and departments around the country which need to be brought to light. Because again, it's not good for policing to have people who are broken, to have officers who are broken, who lack compassion and humanity. And what Peace Officer does is it introduces that into a department and a community so that it becomes who they are. So Peace Officer is who we are as the officers go out. And we're hoping we'll have more of that going forward. And how do you propose that you can push forward this narrative in helping to highlight some of the efforts that you're continuing to make? Because in addition to what Rhea was saying, all we're seeing really on the media is the negative impacts. And then on the other spectrum, you see the police officer that's going to neighborhoods and providing donate donated goods and things of that nature. So like there's never like a happy median that actually shows and highlights the stories and the research and the piloted studies that your organization Police to Peace is pushing forward and helping to shift that narrative. So what are ways that you propose that we can help and the community at large can help shift that narrative? Well, by looking online, uh, certainly to, to our resources, which are police2peace.org, we, we realize that, that there are many narratives, and so our narrative is inherently positive. We, we believe that we can build bridges. It's not easy to build bridges. And in fact, we, we believe that we can transform what for some would be moments of terror into a, encounters of compassion and healing. But it will take time. There is no national police in the United States. There's no national coherence around policing. And so to build that, it's been likened to me, a police chief friend of mine uh, used this analogy. It's like an aircraft carrier. Policing in America is an aircraft carrier. And how do you turn the entire aircraft carrier? Slowly and carefully. So we are turning the aircraft carrier towards peace. And if we're doing it one community and one department at a time, that's one way to go. We have other national initiatives, the Peace Officer Initiative nationally, which any, any community and any department can adopt, working with other like-minded organizations such as yourself to get the word out, because people want hope for change. They want to do something in their communities that's proactive, where they are contributing to greater peace and solving their problems. And sometimes that includes, you know, having having to work with their police and have having uh, police officers say they're sorry. They're sorry for harm that was done, you know, in the furtherance of public safety, that there was harm done. Yet some communities need that. Every community is different, which is what's great about America and what's a challenge for this in terms of changing policing around the country. So we are working towards a tipping point, the tipping point towards peace, which will come when enough communities and enough departments, we're hoping, can can reframe the conversation around hearing every voice and then doing something about it and having police who are as the community and the community is as part of the police. That's the essence of Peace Officer. I love that approach. It feels very restorative. It feels very community oriented. And it feels like something that we would really need to move forward. So my question is, how can people get involved Maybe they haven't founded a nonprofit necessarily, but they're interested in this kind of work. How can the in, the random individual who might be listening to this podcast or who might be reading about police incidents on the news, 
how can they get involved with this movement and really help drive change? We have a toolkit on our website called Seven Simple Steps for Positive Policing that any community can take. And it starts with one individual who's interested in change in their community. It leads them through the steps of creating a task force in their community, of inviting all the stakeholders, the faith leaders, the advocates, the, uh, the social justice groups, the police leaders to the table, and what kinds of questions they would ask each other. And we, we actually help communities and we guide them through this process. Some don't need our guidance once they have the toolkit, and others reach out for further guidance going forward because they may have particular issues or the city may be larger. So that is one way to download the toolkit from the website, Seven Simple Steps to Positive Policing, because it brings, it's a framework for bringing community members and police leaders together. Here's what, we, here's what we're seeing, and that is to build structures and spaces for communities fractured by police incidents, by police violence together peacefully, to begin to do that so that the community members can express what they need from policing, how they want to be policed in a perfect world to wave a wand. If you could, how would policing be in your neighborhood? And to have your police hear you say that. In communities, we are hoping, we're working so that every voice can be heard and so that communities can then take measures to do something about it. So that policing is delivered as a service in a community in the way that communities want and the police are able to be part of the community in the way that they protect and serve. And for the people that aren't necessarily police officers or leaders in the community, what are ways that we can help propel this movement and what are ways that we can provide support to police to peace? Well, through that, that initiative is not uh, necessarily for leaders. It's for anyone who wants to be, as uh, I mentioned before, a citizen entrepreneur, right, in their community wanting to create change. What we're finding is, and I heard a sad statement from a city leader recently who said, you know, on these calls, we gather together these calls and we ask the community how they would like to be governed. And only 5% of people show up. Where are the other 95%? And a police chief friend of mine said to me recently, you know, communities can, can get the policing that they're willing to settle for or the policing they demand. And in that demand, you know, it's more of a conversation. And that is, we want to work together with you so that the policing you deliver is what we want. So our, the get involved, you know, uh, mantra is, is true for this as well. You can come to our website and get involved. We have ways for you to do that. Get involved with your local community groups and engage the police. We have something that we say, and that is we're, much of the country is talking about the police. To really heal this, we need to speak with the police. We need to ask questions of them, and we need to address together where we go from here. And in doing that with the police is restorative, because if apologies need to be made, then that's the forum for them to make it. If, uh, if reimagining public safety in the community needs to be done, that's how it will happen. But it starts with one person in the community who says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to create a movement, create an effort in our community to bring people together so that every voice can be heard. Wow. This whole interview has truly been very encouraging, inspiring, and 
powerful because it just takes someone like you who is just a private citizen, not necessarily connected to the police in any way and just figuring out ways to solve problems and you're doing it. And it just shows that you don't have to be an expert to make a change. And that's exactly what we're promoting through Let's Talk Reform is that it's everyday people who are noticing different challenges that people are going through and noticing what can be developed in their own community, calling it out and pushing forward actionable items that will make things work. So thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast. And we are so excited about the work that you're doing with Police to Peace. And we look forward to being of assistance and we look forward to elevating the conversation because I know that personally, things that are going on in the media can be very discouraging and frightening and just worrisome. But I feel like some sense of hope is coming from your initiative and from your organization. And I feel like it's going towards a positive direction that we hope to see in the country. That's right. Bridge building is not easy, but it is powerful and it's possible. And we can build something truly special out of this if we all come together. That's what we say when we talk about hope for change. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us, Lisa. Thank you for listening to another episode of Let's Talk Reform. Are you interested in social justice advocacy? Let's Talk Reform is looking for students interested in serving as our communication intern or production intern. Let's Talk Reform is a collaborative initiative by a team of scientists working to elevate the discussion around social and mental health needs in the school-to-prison pipeline and United States criminal justice system. Every week, we sit down with community champions, educators, and advocates working to change the system we see today. The communication intern will keep track of our social media sites, emails, and interview schedules. The production intern will help with finding guest speakers and editing podcasts. Both interns will have an opportunity to serve as a co-host for at least one podcast episode. It's a wonderful opportunity to connect with future leaders in public health and medicine while building your CV. We ask that students submit a brief reflection of the Let's Talk Reform podcast episode, resume, and indications of prior communication or media editing experience to our email at juvenilementalhealthproject at gmail.com. Again, that's juvenilementalhealthproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.